growing in God's Word, and learning how to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. Most people spend their lives either trying to pretend or ignore that their sin is there and not thinking about the consequences that might be, or they spend their lives trying to work off their sin do enough good to somehow outweigh the bad. So in the hopes that someday when I get there, St. Peter will let me in. A large majority of people in the world do not know that they can be set free from that sin. Forgiveness. It can be a hard subject to talk about and an even harder thing to do. Whether it's forgiving someone else, forgiving yourself, or being forgiven, sometimes forgiveness feels like Mission Impossible. Starting a brand new series dealing with the subject matter of forgiveness. A series I'm calling Forgiveness, Mission Impossible. Because it feels that way sometimes. Sometimes it's hard to forgive. So over the next several weeks, we're going to look at the subject of forgiveness. Hello and welcome to Crosswalk. Today we're kicking off a brand new series here at Cross Culture Church entitled Forgiveness, Mission Impossible. Over the next five weeks or so, Pastor Clay is going to tackle some of the various scenarios where forgiveness needs to be applied. And we're going to look to the Word of God to show us how to extend forgiveness. Since God is the only one holy enough to determine what is sin and what is not sin, God is also the only one holy and righteous and just enough to determine what it takes to pay for sin, to eliminate sin, to be forgiven. God is the only one who has the understanding and the ability to do just that in our lives. And we're starting today with the most important forgiveness of all, God's forgiveness. Why do we need it? How do we receive it? As Pastor Clay is going to explain today, all other aspects of forgiveness have to start with understanding and receiving God's forgiveness. So thanks for joining us today. Now, here's Pastor Clay. Good morning, Dr. Stevens. As you know, all of us are sinners. We have said things and done things that God doesn't want us to do. Because of that sin, our relationship with God is broken and hindered. Even believers can stumble into sin and suffer grave consequences. Many people are unsure about how to be forgiven or if they can be forgiven at all. Your mission, should you decide to accept, is to share with these people the five requirements for receiving God's forgiveness. As always, should you fail to accept this assignment or fail to teach the truth of God's Word, you're going to have a lot of explaining to do when you get to headquarters. This message will not self-destruct in five seconds. Good luck, Clay. I think that all the other subjects that we're going to cover dealing with forgiveness eventually in some, some shape, fashion, or form tie to this one. Receiving God's forgiveness. How do I receive God's forgiveness? Now, obviously, most of us could probably understand that that would have an application for a person outside of a relationship with God. They've never come into a relationship with God, and they need to know God's forgiveness. But it applies even to those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ, because I don't know about you, but when I became a follower of Jesus Christ, I did not receive a perfection stamp. Did you? I still mess up. I still come short of the mark in my life. So even in our life, so that you could say there's a sense that uh, positionally, 
I've received God's forgiveness. I've been birthed into the family of God and all the rights and privileges, and I know that I'm forgiven. Positionally, I know that's true, but practically speaking in my life every day, those times when I, when I blow it, when I don't act Christ-like, when I, when I allow something to, to take me in a direction, shouldn't all those kind of things, how do we deal with it? How do we know that we're where we need to be with God? I have uh, come to uh, believe that most of the world understands that they are a sinner. Now, I know there are plenty of people in the world that think that they have the right to decide for themselves what is sin and what is not sin. But if there is a God, and obviously I and even the majority of the world believes that there is a God, if there is a God, then he is the only one who has the right to determine what is sin and what is not sin. You and I know because God reveals it to us, that sin is essentially it's to, to say or to do, to think things that God would not want us to do. That, at its essence, is what sin is. Most people, I think, understand that, that they have sinned, that they have, as Paul writes in Romans 3.23, they have come short of the mark or come short of the glory of God. What a large majority of people in the world do not know, though, is that they can be set free from that sin. They can be set free from both the penalty of their sin and the power of sin over our lives. Most people do not understand that. Most people spend their lives either trying to pretend or ignore that their sin is there and, and not thinking about the consequences that might be, or they spend their lives trying to work off their sin, do enough good to somehow outweigh the bad. So in the hopes that someday when I get there, uh, St. Peter will let me in. Yeah, he's not going to be at the gate, y'all. Just, uh, yeah. He's probably going to be over at his place. I don't know. Most people either ignore it or try to pay for it. And that's not how it works. That's not how it works. Since God is the only one holy enough to determine what is sin and what is not sin, God is also the only one holy and righteous and just enough to determine what it takes to, to pay for sin, to eliminate sin, to be forgiven. God is the only one who has the understanding and the ability to do just that in our lives. I find that most people try and work it out themselves. I also find that some people, and, I, and I've had people say this to me, maybe you've had someone say this to you. You, you, you just don't understand. God can't forgive me. Maybe because of the depth of their sin, maybe because of the, the longevity of their sin, but for whatever the reason, there are people that think I, I, I can't I can't be forgiven. God, I've gone too far. God can't forgive me. You ever talk with somebody like that? You ever met somebody that had that, that thought? I, you just don't understand. God can't forgive me. You know, I, I'm sure they don't, I'm sure they're not thinking about it when they say something like that. But when they say something like that, when a person says, man, I, I can't be forgiven. I, I've, I've gone too far. I've been too deep. I, I, when, when a person says something like that, they are saying, in essence, what they're saying is that their sin is bigger than God's grace. And listen to me, ladies and gentlemen, listen to me. 
No one's sin is bigger than God's grace. Whatever you or someone you know or somebody you're talking, whatever, whatever we've done, no one's sin is bigger than God's grace. The very fact, <laughs> the very fact that you and I can be forgiven from our sins is such an absolutely amazing truth. Because you understand, God's, God's under no obligation to do this. God's, God's not, not compelled to do this because in some way he's going to be less God if he doesn't have a bunch of people who can worship him. The Godhead existed in the, in the infinity of eternity before we ever came along, and God will still exist in the infinity of eternity that is yet to come, whether a person comes to him, acknowledges him, or not. God is God. And so the idea that he would offer forgiveness, he would offer grace to us is purely an expression of his character of grace and love. So I want to talk to you about receiving God's forgiveness. Psalm 51, uh, I want to give you one of these uh, requirements for forgiveness as we get started and then we'll read the pe- part of the passage of Scripture. Responsibility for your sin must be personal. Number one, responsibility for your sin must be personal. Let me read verses 1 through 3 of Psalm 51 uh, today. Y'all with me? All right. Be gracious to me, O God. This is David, by the way. Be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the greatness of your compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgression, transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. This was, if you're, if you're not clear on Psalm 51, this, David is referring to his great sin found in 2 Samuel chapter 11, his sin with Bathsheba, the wife of another man, the wife of Uriah. Ba- uh, David uh, lusted after Bathsheba. When he saw her, he was up on his rooftop. If you're familiar with the story, First Samuel, he's up on the rooftop late in the evening. It's cooler up there. That part of it is, is kind of understandable. Um, and he sees Bathsheba taking a bath over at her house. Uh, he looks upon her. She's beautiful, and he, he, he lusts after her. And he, he takes her. He has her brought to his, uh, to his, to his palace. He, he sleeps with her. He has sex with her. Uh, she becomes pregnant. He tries to cover up this with, with some deception. You can read about it in there. And when that, when that fails to work, rather than, than at that point come clean, rather than, than, than admitting what he had done, David plunges even deeper into sin. And he has it arranged. He has it arranged so that Uriah, this faithful soldier, the husband of Bathsheba, he has it arranged so that she, he is murdered on the battlefield. And David takes Bathsheba as his wife. By the way, sidebar. Some of you have heard me say this before, but for some of you, it is new. This is one of the, one of the evidences of the accuracy and the validity of the Bible. The fact that it does not try and cover up the ugliness of its heroes. And listen, David is one of the heroes, man. He's right at the top of the list there, right? The very fact that the Bible would do this points to the fact that it is accurate, that it is true. Listen, this is David. This is David 
who as a teenager stood before Goliath and, and the army of the Philistines when everybody else, and I do mean everybody else, was shaking in their armor. David runs towards the giant with nothing but a, but a sling and a bag of rocks and an amazing amount of faith. This was David who sang beautiful praise choruses to the Lord for the comfort of the king. This was David who wrote majestic, God-honoring, God-inspired psalms. This was David who wanted to build a house for the Lord because he didn't think it was right that here he lived in a permanent dwelling and there wasn't even a permanent dwelling, a temple for the living God. He, he's, that's not right. This was David whom God said, whom God said of David, this is a man after my own heart. And yet he plunged into the depth of sin. It's, if, if you're making this whole thing, I'm just telling you, if you're making this whole thing up, you would never write that stuff about your heroes. You would never write about the frailties and the faults and the failures of your heroes. You just wouldn't do that. Not if you want people to believe in this thing. The very fact that it's there points us to its accuracy, its validity, its truth. And it reminds you and me that the heroes of the Bible were just human men and women just like we are, and they had their struggles just like we do. You know what? I'll bet, I'll bet there was a lot of people that even thought David was being noble by taking Bathsheba in. I, I could just hear it out on the streets. What, what, a, what a great king we have. I, I, that, he would, that he would take in this young widow after her husband was tragically killed on the, on the battlefield. What a, what a great guy. How noble it is of David to, to take this woman in like this. Oh, I, I'm sure there were plenty of whispers in the palace among the servants as to what had actually gone on. But I suspect the, the majority of people just thought, this is a great thing David's done. And can I say this to you? That's, that's, what, that's, how, that's how our sin can be. It can go on undetected. Sometimes for a long time, sometimes for weeks, sometimes for months, sometimes for years without anybody knowing. Anybody except the only person that really matters, God. God knows, right? God knew of David's sin. And I'll tell you something else. David knew of his sin as well. Did you, did you see there in, in the latter part of verse 3 where he says, My sin is ever before me. David was feeling the weight of his sin. I suspect at some point he, he, he thought maybe he could put it behind him. I'm sure he, he through, through his power, through his influence, through his position, he's tried to cover this thing up. He's, he's tried to, to make sure that nobody finds out about it and, and, and he can just move on with his life. He, he can just, yeah, he probably shouldn't have done that, but he can just move on with his life and, and he's running from it. But I'm going to tell you something. They don't make running shoes fast enough to run from the conviction of the Holy Spirit. They don't. And there's going to have to come a point in David's life where he comes face to face with the reality of a sin. You see, here's the truth that you and, all, you and I need to know. You all ought to write this one down. Maybe you want to put it on Facebook, but this is simply the truth. Your sin is never behind you until your sin is in front of you. Until you're willing to come face to face with what you have done, what I have done, the sin I have committed, until I'm willing to come face to face with it and face the reality of it, it's never behind you. It's never going to be past. It's never going to be over because God loves you and me too much. And he loved David too much to let him just pretend that everything was okay and just go on with his sin. And so there in 2 Samuel chapter 12, 
God sends the prophet Nathan to, to convict Daniel of his sin. He does it in a very clever way. We don't have time today. Don't do it now. But when you get a chance, go back and read 2 Samuel 12 and see how in a very clever way, God confronts David over his sin. And it brings David to a place of absolute, complete brokenness over his sin. That has to happen, ladies and gentlemen. No matter what anybody else thinks of us, no matter what our fears of what they will think about us, there has to come a place where you and I make our sin personal. We recognize and we take it and we own it. David came to the place where he owned his sin. I guess I was uh, six or seven years old. And my parents got, I don't even remember, they got it like a freezer or a, a console TV. Again, kids, I, I know y'all don't know what that is. But, uh, it, but, but anyway, it came in this big box, right? Big box, big cardboard box. And I, I don't know how I did it, but I managed to get this giant cardboard box way up in this tree, like, like 30, 40 feet up in the tree to make myself a cardboard condo in the sky. And I, and I wedged it between two limbs. I just got in, you know, led, wet, wedged in there real good. Okay, I'm not the smartest guy in the world. I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer. I, I get it. But I, I wedged that cardboard box and I would get in that cardboard box and I, and I would just stare up into the sky, that, 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 that blue uh, sky, and uh, that Florida sky with those big old puffy stratocumulus clouds. And I, I would do that day after day. And, and one day, I was laying in my cardboard condo, staring up into that sky. And, and I felt just this little boom. To this day, I can still remember the rush of, of panic and fear that just washed over my body. And I can remember, I, do, I distinctly remember saying out loud, uh-oh. As this, as this cubicle of death now began hurling toward the earth, literally at breakneck speed. And I can remember hearing the, the sound of limbs and leaves and stuff rushing by the cardboard box as it, as it plummeted toward the earth. And I'm sure it only took three or four seconds for this to transpire. But in my mind, it was like I was forever, I was falling and falling. And I, I can remember looking up and seeing those, those puffy little clouds getting farther and farther and farther away. <laughs> Y'all are not going to find this hard to believe. But it apparently rendered me unconscious when I hit the ground. Because I remember, I, I remember waking up and, you know, the sky's still up there. I can see leaves and limbs are still up there. And I got up out of my giant cardboard box and I made my way home. And I went in and I never said a word because I knew I was going to get a whipping for being stupid enough to think that it was a good idea to put a cardboard box up. 30 feet up in a tree and getting in it. So I never said a word about it. Fast forward like, I don't know, 30 years. It's Thanksgiving Day, gathered with my family and we're sharing a Thanksgiving meal, Thanksgiving memory. And I don't even know why, but for some reason, I recounted this story of this cardboard box that I placed in the sky and how it fell and all that kind of stuff. My older brother, Ashley, then pipes up and informs me that he had secretly, stealthily, is that a word? Snuck into the tree that day in order to scare me. And he had 
pulled on the box just a little bit. I guess uh, several hours later when I came, became conscious and, and walked, walked in the door, I guess when I walked in the door that evening, he figured, well, you know, he's, uh, he's still alive. So there's no sense of saying anything now. And so 30 years later, I'm sure when he figured out that the statute of limitations had probably run out, he says, it was me. I did it. Sometime in our life, we have to come to the realization that it was me. I did it. God, I, I've sinned. I've, I've done this thing. We have to own it, ladies and gentlemen. Did you, do you notice the personal ownership? Did you see it as we read it? Let me bring back up to you. The personal ownership David took in this thing. Look what he says. He says, my transgressions. In th- th- in five times in three verses. My transgressions, my iniquity, my sin, my transgressions, my sin. You know what David's doing? He's owning this thing. He's saying, God, man, I, I've sinned. I've sinned, I've done this thing, and I can't hide from it anymore. I can't push it away. I can't pretend it didn't happen. It happened, God. It's real, and I know that you know it, and I know it, and I I have to come clean about it. That's what has to happen in our lives. We have to come to the place where we're willing to make our sin personal. I, I don't know where you are and in your life and what's going on in your life, but if there's sin in your life, if there's things in your life that you know God does not approve of, you gotta call it for what it is. You gotta, you gotta say it's sin. No more excuses, no more him hawing around. You don't see any of that with David. No more. Oh, it, it, it's not my fault. Bathsheba, she should have closed the curtains before she got up there and took a bath. It's not my fault. God made me want women and like women naked. It's not my fault. It's none of that with David. There's just purely ownership of his sin. And that's what I'm saying to us today. We've got to move on. But I'm just saying to you, we have to take ownership of our sins. It, it has to be personal. Okay. Here's a second idea today I want to share with you. Recognize God's right to judge your sin. That's, that's, that's a requirement. You have to recognize that God, listen, because you can say, well, nobody else has a right to say what I do is wrong or right or whatever. You're right. I don't, I don't have a right to, to say what only God does, right? Look at it, verse uh, four, pick it up in verse four. Listen to what he says. Against you and you only, I have sinned. And done what is evil in your sight, so that you are justified when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and my and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the innermost being, and in the hidden part you will make me no wisdom. David is not saying, by the way, David is not saying that his mother sinned when she became pregnant by him. That's not what he's saying. She, uh, she was married to David's father. They had already had several uh, children before David ever uh, came along. When David says that, that I, was, I was born in or I was conceived in iniquity, in, in iniquity my mother didn't conceive me. He's not saying his mother did anything wrong. What he's, what he's saying is, says, man, I, 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 I was born in sin. I, I, he's feeling, do you understand? He's feeling the weight. He's feeling the depth of his sin right now. It is very, very real at this moment in David's life as he writes this. He knows the depth of it, and he, he, he's, he's owning it. He's not just owning it. He's not just admitting it. He, he's, he's accepting what this has done to him. 
and ultimately what it's done to God. He's also not saying that he hadn't sinned against Uriah, who clearly he had. He's not saying he hadn't even sinned against Bathsheba. But what he's saying is when he looked, when he looks at God's holiness, when he looks at God's perfection, when he looks at God's standard, and then he looked at the depth to which he had gone and the sin that he had committed, when David looked at that, he knew that God had every right to judge his sin. And there was no way out of it. The contrast between the perfection and the holiness of God and the sinfulness of David was so stark. The, the holiness of God shone a light on David's sin. And he could see, he said, God, God you, you have every right. In, in, in righteousness, you can judge me. You and I have to come to that place where we recognize that God has a right to judge our sin, to say, well, I, 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 no. No, we got to say, God, you, you have the right to judge me for what I've done. A, a few years ago, this was great... Uh, one of the great things I've had to get opportunity to do in my life. A few years ago, I had the opportunity. Actually, it was the first time I played around a golf after my motorcycle uh, accident, so it wasn't pretty. But uh, a few years ago, I got to play uh, golf with a young man by the name of Grayson Murray. Uh, Grayson Murray went to high school right here at Leesville Road High School, won a state title, at least one state title uh, with them. Uh, Grayson Murray is now on the PGA Tour. He actually won a tournament last year, his rookie year on the tour. Uh, an exceptionally talented uh, young man. I got the opportunity to play uh, golf with Grayson. Now, when I played with him, he was on the mini tours. He was trying to work his way on uh, to the tours. It was a couple of, of years ago. But it was absolutely phenomenal watching this guy play golf. I mean, it was un- unbelievable. I think he was like, I don't know. I, I, I want to say he was like eight under after 16 holes. I, I was like 16 over after eight holes. You know, I mean, it's like, you understand what I'm saying? And, and seeing the contrast between that level of golf and my level of golf helped me to clearly understand, I'm terrible. I am terrible at this. You understand? Listen, I, I, you understand what I'm saying here? And it's, I understand, it's just a little white ball that grown men and women chase around in a field. And Grayson is certainly not a perfect, not a perfect golfer. That doesn't exist in the world of, of golf. But do you understand what I'm saying? That the contrast between, between how he played the game and how I played the game made how badly I played the game so obvious in, in your life, in my life, to, to see the perfection and the holiness of God should expose us to the reality of, of how, how much of a sinner we can be in our lives. Even at places, times we think, man, I, man I've come a long ways. I've got, and praise God when we have victories and we see, but, but then... It's amazing how quickly we can allow sin to grab a hold of us, right? God has the right to judge our sin, and we, we have to understand that. Hey, that's what happened uh, in, in Isaiah chapter 6, where Isaiah, and Isaiah's not a bad guy. He's not in sin. He's a prophet of God, but when he, he's allowed this glimpse into the throne room of God, and he sees God for all his glory, for all of his purity. And, and if you've read Isaiah 6, you remember this, this passage where, where Isaiah looks at God, the holiness of God, and he says, woe is me. For I am undone, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. My eyes have beheld the glory of God. That, that's what happens. Listen, he has that right. Let me show you just a few past scriptures just to remind you. Somebody saying Genesis eighteen twenty five: Shall not the judge of all the earth deal justly? That's what he's going to do. Deuteronomy 1, 17. The judgment is God's. He's the one that has the right to do that. 1 Samuel 2, uh, 10. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. Psalm 50, verse 6, the heavens declare his righteousness for God himself is what? Say it. Judge. 
Psalm 98, 9, he is coming to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. James 4, 12, there is one lawgiver and judge. There's just one. And then Revelation uh, chapter 19, getting towards the end of the book, his judgments, say it, his judgments are true and righteous. That's why he is the only one that has the right to judge your sin. But you have to, you, we have to say, God, yeah, you have the right to do that. Forgive me when I've been so arrogant or defiant to think that, I, that you didn't have that right. All right, real quickly. Let me, let me, I need to get to the third one because, because it's going to lead into this. Third truth today, realize that only God can cleanse your sin. <laughs> this, is, this is the good news after the bad news, folks. Realize that only God can cleanse your sin. It's good that he can and will and is able and is willing to. It's bad if a person thinks that they don't need God to do it. Let me read verse 7. Purify me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness. Let the bones which you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. This is the reality of what it is to understand that only God can, can cleanse your sin. The, the word David uses there, he says, purify me. In the Hebrew, it essentially literally means to descend me. You notice what he's saying? You notice, you notice what he's not saying? God, I'm, I'm going I'm to do so much better. God, I'm going to work so hard for you. God, I'm going I'm to make sure that that, that temple gets built. God, I, I'm going to make the people come into your house and worship you. And God, I'm going to do... There's none of that, is there? There's none of that. No, he realizes that only God can do this. God, you're the one that's going to have to purify me. David asked God to take, to cleanse him with hyssop. Hyssop was a plant that usually grew in, in, in between rocks and the walls and stuff where you'd sometimes find it uh, growing. It was used in the temple uh, on the Day of Atonement. The hyssop plant was used to, to dip the blood and to, to sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat. The first time, I think, biblically, that we find its use is when the, the nation of Israel is being, being de- miraculously delivered out of slavery in Egypt. And God tells the people of Israel that night when the death angel is about to pass over, he says, take a hyssop plant and dip it in the blood and put the blood across the doorpost of, of doorframe of the house and the blood will protect you. It was an act of faith, faith in the sacrifice that was being given so that the death angel would pass over. So David... Essentially, what he's saying is, God, cleanse me with your blood. That's it, folks. No, no amount of money, no amount of good works, no amount of trying this or doing that, no amount of prayers will ever take away the stain of your sin, my sin. Only God Almighty can do that. And he has done it. He has done it. David had drifted far from where he once was in his relationship with God. As God confronted David, he realized the depth of his sin and was broken over what he had done. Sometimes it may feel like being forgiven by God is, well, mission impossible. And the truth is, it would be, if not for God's amazing grace. God wants us to be forgiven. He loves us enough to pay the debt himself so that we can be forgiven. As Pastor Clay explained today, God's forgiveness sets us free from both the penalty of sin and the power of sin over our lives. What about you? Have you experienced God's forgiveness in your life? We're glad you joined us for this week's message on Crosswalk. 
Pastor Clay is the author of the book, I Get It, Discovering How to Really Live in the Promises of God. My prayer is that God would use it to help some people understand a few things about what it really takes to live in the promises of God. God wants you to live a life of peace and purpose and meaning and hope and fulfillment and contentment. He wants you to live a life without fear and without anxiety. Many people at some point in their life feel disconnected with the type of life and faith they read about in the Bible and what their lives look like on a daily basis. What is it that we're missing? What is it that we're not getting? If I'm not really living in the promises of God, why is that? That's what this book explores. I Get It is available online in electronic versions for the Nook and Kindle, as well as paperback from Amazon.com. And ask for it by name at your favorite local bookstore. You can go in bookstores and just say, hey, uh, have you got a book in here uh, entitled I Get It from Clay Stevens? They can order this book out of their catalogs that they get. Get your copy today. Discover the promises of God and the steps you need to take to get it. And join us here each week online for another Crosswalk message. God has invited us to know Him through His Word, the Bible, a perfect record of God's revelation to man and applicable for every area of our lives. And if you're in the Raleigh area, we invite you to be a part of cross-culture worship. We meet at 1030 every Sunday morning at the Leesville Road High School, a mile and a half south of I-540, exit 7. We're a church, but instead of religion, we're about relationships. And instead of rituals, we practice real. Our desire is to be used by God to show people that a life built on the finished work of Christ on the cross is where they will find what they're searching for. Learn more about us, who we are, what we're about, what we do, and what we believe. Visit us online at crossculture.church. I'm not the water, I'm not the bread, but I know the place where your soul is fed. So hungry and thirsty, come and Cross-Culture Church, taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross.